God's been good to us, has he not? Proverbs chapter 6 tonight. Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, hard to listen to that song just one time. Proverbs chapter number 6. And we're going to jump right back in where we left off on last Wednesday night. I love this book. I love the book of Proverbs, don't you? Such a practical book. It's filled with warnings, filled with good advice. And um, oft repeated several times, several times throughout the book, the same advice is repeated over and again. Tonight, we visit once more another solemn warning to the young man. He has two primary enemies in the book of Proverbs. Somebody give me one of the enemies of the young man. The strange woman and the foolish man. And uh, there's no shortage of them out here in the world, is there? No shortage at all. And uh, once more, we hear a warning tonight. Proverbs chapter 6. Father, please open our minds and hearts to thy truth, to receive it, and to love it, and to cherish it, and to live it. I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to communicate the truths you've laid upon my heart. Please tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We finished last week with the solemn uh, hate list of the Lord in verse 16, 17, and 18. And yes, God does hate. God does hate. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, and feet that be swift in running to mischief. Notice the first five of those seven have something to do with a different part of the body. Your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your heart, your feet. Verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God said, let's not forget that seventh way. I've got six things. Let's don't forget that seventh one. And uh, I don't think there's, uh, maybe there's more to that little phrase. Sometimes uh, folks ask me that. But I think that's just sort of a figure of speech. God said, let's not, let's not forget that last one. I can't, I hate it when somebody brings disharmony rather than harmony to God's people. Now verse number 20 where we begin tonight. My son, there's that term of endearment again. Keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Here again, in different words, he says, don't disregard mom and dad's commands. Don't disregard, don't disregard mom and dad's rules. Their instruction. You know, when I read that little phrase, and there's a very similar phrase uh, else, uh, earlier in the book. Uh, and but when I read that little phrase, in uh, he says this. He said, bind them on thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. I think of a locket when I read that. You know, sometimes people wear like a piece of jewelry, for example, with something precious inside. And maybe it's a locket around. I imagine a young lady with a locket. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and inside is something of value or a picture that means something. And I can imagine uh, holding that. Maybe it represents somebody that you love or loved you 
or uh, maybe some of that's gone that you love, and you you clutch that. And that's the, that's the picture I get in my mind. And God is saying those commands, those no, you may not do that. No, you must do this. Oh, those things, wear them around your neck, clutch them. Those are precious. And may I say this: if you have someone in your life that cares enough about you to say no. No, no, you may not. Put that away. Turn that off. Go change your clothes. Delete that. You ought to rejoice. You ought to treasure that. You ought to clutch that to your heart and hold it close. And think of it as a keepsake, something precious to you, that you have someone in your life that loves you and cares enough about you not to just try to be in your good graces, but loves you enough to lay some commands down and tell you no when you need to hear it. That's something you ought to treasure. Verse number 22, when thou goest. Maybe circle that little phrase, when thou goest. In other words, when you leave home, when thou goest, three things, it shall lead thee. It'll bring, it'll guide you. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. That's protection. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. That's good counsel. How many of you have ever heard your mom or your dad talking in your head before? <laughs> it kind of rings right in your mind. And I, I, I remember my, my dad's advice ringing in my mind at a season of my life when I had ignored it and wished I hadn't. Um, there are two times in your life particularly, there'll be other times, but two times in particular that you need to re-enlist in the army of God. You say, well, I'm in the army of God. I surrender my life. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm sold out. I'm a witness for Christ. Let me tell you when you need to re-enlist. When you graduate from high school. When you graduate from high school, you need to re-enlist in the army of God. You need to do... Turn to Philippians 4. Keep your finger in Proverbs. Turn to Philippians 4. I want you to circle one word in these two verses. Philippians chapter number 4. These will sound familiar to you. There's one word I want you to circle. Look at verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Should I watch this? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Should I be having this conversation? Whatsoever things are true, Honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. Should I be reading this? Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. 
those things which ye have both learned and received, circle that word, and heard and seen in me do. Follow the example. And the God of peace shall be with you. Those things which you have both learned and received. Circle the word receive. Everybody look at me. Listen, somewhere along the line, it's got to be more than the faith of our fathers. It's got to be the faith of our generation. It's got to be what I believe. Not what my mama believes, not what my daddy believes, not my pastor believes, not my youth pastor believes. And, uh, uh, but it's got to be my faith, my convictions, my convictions. I told these young men that surrendered to ministry. You better make sure you marry somebody who has the same convictions that you have. Because I'll make you a promise. If, if she doesn't, you won't preach your convictions. This last year, a good man, I love him, a good man. Most of you know him, would know him. But he told me this. He said, Brother John, I cannot preach my own convictions in my own pulpit. Most of you know him. I cannot preach my own convictions in my own pulpit. (laughs) That's pretty sad. You've got to figure out. Listen, you've got to get something. It, 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 it. You say, well, I belong to a soul winning church. That doesn't make you a soul winner. We go to a separated church. I don't mean you're separated. My parents are against rock band. I don't mean you're against it. <laughs> you've got to figure out for yourself in your soul what you believe. And I mean, as a young adult, you graduate from my Listen, too, too many times, too many times, young people walking out, including this aisle, and we give you a, a, a diploma, and you walk out the door, and it's like you fell off the a cliff. You fell off the world somehow. I, let, let me tell you something. The church is one thousand times more important than the school. By the way, I need my staff to believe what I just said. I need my staff. To believe that the church is more important than any other ministry of this church. I love the school. But what good is a Christian education going to do you and a diploma from a Christian high school if you didn't even learn enough to stay in church? Man stood in my office. And not not a, not an emotional kind of a, a man stood in my office, and I, I, I and, and watched his tears come down his face. He said, "Pastor, one semester, my husband, my, my my son, excuse me, my son came home after one semester at Christmas time, and said, I don't believe in God anymore. One semester was in this church. I went back and read again today." I remember years ago, somewhere in dead in your library somewhere, but Dr. Bob Jones Sr. had a little booklet he produced uh, called Three, Three College Shipwrecks. And he told the story. Uh, and this is something God used in his heart to compel upon his heart to start a Christian university. 
And he told the, uh, he, uh, he told the story of a man who's only, he was preaching in a city and uh, in a church, and a man sat on the front row and wept. And the service over, the pastor said, you see that man on the front row with this agony all over his face while you preach? He said, yeah. He's one of the best men in our church, on our board. He's a servant. He had one daughter. She went off to a secular university, got her some secular teachers, and in nine months, her faith was completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. He was preaching in another city, in a northern city, and, and if you read the little story, he said it was in the shadow of one of the great universities of the north, one of the, what, we'd, what, what the world would think was a great university. He said, in the shadow of that university, I was preaching at church, preaching a revival, and he said, I finished up and I was walking. I left the church and he said, I heard somebody stepping behind me. I, they'd step into the shadow and then they, I'd hear them behind me. And he said, bothered me. I finally I spun around and said, hey, you need something? And he said, a young man stepped out of the shadow with tears coming down his face. Had heard him preach that night. And he said, my dad died when I was, when I was before, three months before I was born. Three months before my, I was born. My dad who was very wealthy, lost everything and died. I, I was born uh, uh, three months after my dad died. And my mom, who had been used to being wealthy, was left impoverished. And, um, but she had, she had some, some gumption about her and she began to carve out a living and she took care of me it was just mom and me. That's all it was. And, uh, and he said, I, I was an athlete. I graduated from high school with honors. I got the re, uh, certificates for uh, athletic uh, uh, abilities, uh, scholastic abilities, everything. And he said, we, we lived in a little tiny place, and my mom worked her fingers to the bone to keep food on our table. When I graduated, I said to my mom, so I, I, I went back and I kissed her and hugged her. I said, all right, mom, go to work. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you carry the load. She said, no, you're not. You're going to college. He said, Mom, that's, there's no way we can afford college. She said, Son, I've been saving sometimes $2, sometimes $3 a week since the day you were born. And I've put money back for you to go to school. He went to a secular school, moved into the dorms. And by the way, let me just say this. I would recommend you go to a Christian college. But let me say, if you're going to go to, if you make up your mind you're going to a secular school, stay out of the dorms. Stay out of the dorms. Amen, Pastor. Anyway, he, his first day in the dorms, he pulled his Bible out and his roommate started making fun of him. And, oh, look at the boy from the country. Come here, got his Bible. He doesn't know where he's at. And they said, uh, hey, you want the biology professor will take care of you, buddy. That's what they said. That was nine months previous to this, this meeting after a service with the preacher and this boy with tears in his eyes. He said, Dr. Jones, he said, in nine months, I have ruined my morals my mind is so confused, I don't know what I believe anymore. And he said, I have a letter today. I received a letter today. My mom is surprising me. She'll be here tomorrow to visit me. I cannot face her. I cannot face her. 
The third story was a, an aged minister whose son became an atheist. Now listen, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Run from the ungodly, uh, run from the, the scorners, run from the sinners. That's the second time you need to re-enlist in God's army. Number one, when you get out of high school. Number two, when you get his life stage. Or between his and mine. Are you in your 40s still, right? <clears throat> How old are you? 34. Uh Closer to his life stage. Between his life stage and his life stage. And they call these the middle years. How many people lose their brains in their middle years? Years ago, listen. Years ago, I heard, I heard a preacher say this. A pastor. He was, he was talking to other pastors. He said this. He said, you watch a man who suddenly changes his hairstyle. And I remember thinking, oh, that's just silly. Who would say something like that? But after 27 years, you know what I found out? I found out there's something to that. I'm not saying you're backslid because you changed your hairstyle. Some of you didn't change your hairstyle, your hair just fell out. (laughs) (laughs) But there is something, there is something about you wanting to change your persona your look, your style, and you're married and you have children and you have a house and you have a job. And what do you want to do? You want to go back. Listen now. You want to go back to some era of your life back then. Let me, let me tell you what. Here's what happens. You think it right here, but it don't work out that way. Just like it doesn't work out when I get on the basketball court. I think it right there. I have got the moves. I've got the speed. Except it ain't there when I get out there. Now you just settle down. You don't need a different wife. You need to get committed to the one you have. My my peers, my peers, my age group are changing when their children become young adults. My age group, my my peers in ministry, whose young adults are going into ministry, throwing the standards out the window, compromising on the Bible, trading in the hymns for 7-Eleven songs, same seven words 11 times over, Brother Matt, come come up and teach us again about if that you would. And and this is crazy. And their parents are trotting right behind them. They're losing their minds. Question, were you wrong back then or are you wrong now? Is what you preached back then, do you need to apologize for that? Because you're either wrong then or you're wrong now. You young men, 
you young ladies graduate from high school, you make up your mind that if it was good enough for you to live as a teenager, it's good enough for you to live as a 19, 20, 21, 2, 3, 4, 5 year old as well. Verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Like a lamp, the truths you're learning will guide you through your life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, Psalm 119, 105, and a light into my path. Verse 24, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Can I say something? Young people, don't you have anything to do with a person who does not talk appropriately? Don't have anything to do with a boy or a girl whose mouth is corrupt. The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. I know some people that can't even carry a conversation without something profane coming out of their mouth. First of all, you know, go back and to kindergarten or first grade and you know learn how to read and learn how to talk. And and you know, you surely you could say you could string two sentences together without taking God's name in vain. Surely. Surely. Your vocabulary is a little little bigger than that. Some people wouldn't have vocabulary if it wasn't for GD and all kind of other garbage. But this woman is known by her mouth. Her mouth. Verse 25. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Notice that little phrase in verse 25. In thine heart. In thine heart. Keep your mind and heart clean. Keep your mind and heart clean. Keep your mind and heart clean. If you're going to keep your heart clean, you've got to keep your mind clean. Keep your mind and heart clean. The only way to keep your mind clean is to protect your eyes and protect your ears. That's the only way to do it. You cannot look at garbage. Whatever goes in these eyeballs and those ears will get in your mind. And what gets in your mind will get in your heart. And all the issues of life, we've already read it. Uh, out of the heart, all the issues of life. Uh, keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Marriage issues, job issues, finance issues, friendship issues. Every bit of it flows from the heart. And the heart is going to be whatever the brain puts into it. And your mind's going to be whatever you let right here and whatever you let right there. Keep your mind and heart. One nineteen, Psalm one nineteen nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. How did clamp your mind and heart? Listen, you know some. I know this is sensitive, but some of you grew up with no restraints whatsoever, and you, oh, how you wish you could go back and undo some of that. Some of you, some of you, you, can, you your mind's a computer, and you can't take those files out. So what do you need to do? You need to stuff as many good files in the front of your head as you possibly can. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, you ever see on a computer, you got a bunch of programs open, a bunch of files open, and you click to open something, and it goes... <laughs> about 10 minutes later, boom, it opens up, right? Because you got a bunch of stuff open, right? 
So what you all do is stuff your mind with good stuff. Amen. Some of you that struggle with your mind, you cannot afford to skip Sunday night. You cannot afford to skip Sunday school. You cannot afford. Wednesday night doesn't need to be a choice. You need to bathe your mind in the Word of God. It's been years ago since I did it, but over in the old auditorium, I think actually, I put a, a picture filled with mud in it. And I had water containers. And I taught a little lesson. And I took those, that fresh water and I poured in that pitcher of mud. And then the water would come out, overflow in the container that was sitting in. Then another, then another, then another, then another. Guess what happens if you get, keep pouring clear water in, in a muddy pitcher? The water color starts changing. Amen. Yeah. It gets cleaner and cleaner. Farmer told the boy, he said, run down to the spring down there and uh, get me some water and bring it back. Handed him a wicker basket. Little boy ran down the bottom of the hill, stuck it in the spring, started running up halfway up the hill, and he's looking at his basket. He gets top of the hill. There's no water. He said, I'm sorry, there's no water. He said, run down there. Run down the spring. Bring me some water. Ran back down the spring. About three different attempts. He's about ready to give up. He said, I'm not doing any good. He said, look at your basket. You have a cleaner basket. Now, you may not retain everything you read and everything. I, I would hate to ask somebody what I preached last Sunday night. <laughs> I might demoralize, I'd be demoralized. But the fact is this, you may not remember what you had for lunch last Thursday, but you still got nourished by it. Amen? And the Word of God will cleanse your mind, fill your mind up with good stuff. Look at the next verse, verse number 26. He says in verse number 26, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Think about that phrase for just a moment. Think about that phrase, a piece of bread. Let, let me say this. Let me say this. Sin is expensive. It's it's expensive. Alcohol is expensive. Drugs are expensive. Tobacco is expensive. Divorce is expensive. Why don't you just look? Why don't you just be faithful? Be faithful. Just keep your vows. Amen. Gambling is expensive. Look, when's the last time you saw somebody pull up? In a, in, a, in a BMW with a sharp suit and gold rings on their hand and so forth and go in and buy a lottery ticket. You don't see it. Who's buying the lottery ticket? The guy that's got his, his muffler, he's got string around his muffler tied to the bumper. His, his door... But doesn't close all the way. The windshield's cracked. There's garbage piled up in the front seat as high as the window. And he's in there. Sin is expensive. Look, friends, let me tell you something. There is. There is no life in looking for chance or looking for handouts your whole life. If you want a life 
develop some character, work hard, save, make good decisions. You will not get ahead by trying to get over on somebody or by playing some chance game. I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about the stupid quarter machine at the gas station. Don't stick a quarter in it. Don't ever even put a toe down that road. Just make up your mind. I'll never gamble anything. Take that quarter put it in the bank. Amen. For by means of a horse woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for what? The precious life. Now, this is very interesting. That word is used 36 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time it's translated precious. Listen to this. It's also translated costly. Excellent, honorable, and reputation in the context of a good reputation. Do you know who Satan wants as a trophy on his wall? The good kid. The good kid. The one with a good testimony. Young men, young ladies, you're here on a Wednesday night, you're here. He's, you're the one that he wants on his trophy wall. You're the one he wants to take down. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary walketh about as a what? A roaring lion. The devil wants to eat you alive. Now, let's talk a little bit. We're we're talking about warnings. Let's talk about the right kind of relationship for just a minute. What is the right kind of young man or young lady? Now, sometimes I know sometimes young people you think, man, that, man, that my parents, pastor, they don't ever want me to get married. They don't want me to be a single. They don't want me to be a, 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 a nun or a monk or something the rest of my life. <coughs> no, actually, we do. We do want you to get married. <laughs> <clears throat> Because you're expensive, that's why we want you to. But can I can I tell you what the right kind of young man or the right kind of young lady will be? The right kind of young man, the right kind of young lady. First of all, you'll you, you'll be open about it. If it's the right kind of young man or the right kind of young lady, you'll be open about it. You'll be excited about it with the people who love you, have nurtured you, guided you, and so forth. Uh, Let me say this. Time release information to the people who love, lead, and nurture you is dishonest and a raunchy way to start a relationship. I'm going to tell just enough. Why? Why? Why can't you just be open? Why would you start a conversation? You know, uh, we, we're not going to go too fast. Or, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, well, I, I met someone, but we're not. We're going real slow. Why is that the first statement you make? Well, I met somebody, but we're just talking. It's not going too far. Why wouldn't you say, hey, I met somebody, we're talking. You understand the difference? One is, I'm excited to tell you and let you know. The other is, you're already on your heels. <laughs> already on defense. May I say this? 
The easiest time to sever the wrong kind of relationship is at the very beginning. And the longer it goes, the harder it gets. So the right kind of young man or young lady is someone you can be open about. Now, I'm not, that I don't mean by that you got to tell the whole world, <laughs> you know, you know, about everything and all your feelings and all that. But I'm talking about with your parents, with your parents, you can't be open. <laughs> Something doesn't smell right. Number two, with your parents' approval. The right kind of young man or young lady will meet with your parents' approval. They'll meet with your parents' approval. This ties into number one. You're not open sometimes because you're not sure. You're not sure. You're not sure what to say because if you say the wrong thing, then they may not be for it. So you've got to be real careful what you say. That's a telltale sign, friend. Listen, your mama, young man, your mama has intuitions that only God gives, okay? And one day, your wife will have those intuitions that you need to listen to and pay attention to. Your dad, young ladies, your dad, you need, you don't need just his, all right, okay, okay. You you need his, uh, not just his, his uh, I'm okay. You need his exuberance. You need his, hey, this is good. The right kind of young man or young lady, you'll be open about it. Uh, the right kind of young man or young lady will meet with your parents' approval. Number three, the right kind of young man or young lady will enhance your healthy relationships. The right kind of young man or young lady will enhance your healthy relationships. Look, if you take a shine to somebody, courting someone, dating someone, brings tension between you and your parents, you need to back up a step. The right kind of person is going to enhance those relationships. I'm talking about your leadership, your parents, your family. It, it, it's, going to, it's going to enhance it, not hinder it. So here's a, here's a question. He said, well, I think, I think, you know, I like so-and-so, and I think maybe we, I, I, you know, could have something more than a friendship. All right, question. Is this person bringing you closer? Are you closer to your parents because of this person? Are you closer to your pastor, to your youth pastor, your Christian school teachers, your Sunday school teachers, the, the Christians that have influenced you in this church? Are you closer to them because of this, or are you more distant? Number four, right kind of young man or young lady will not be careless with your testimonies. Number one, they won't be careless with their own testimony, and they won't be careless with your testimony. Well, we're not doing anything wrong. Then why are you having to say that? Maybe you're not doing anything wrong. But the Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. You ought to care about your testimony. And someone who will put you in a position where your testimony could have a question mark over it. Let me tell you something. Somebody, you, listen, you need somebody who will honor your good name. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, the Bible says. Someone who will not be careless with your testimony and will not be careless with their testimony. Number five, the right kind of young man or young lady has solid character. Has solid character. Now let me tell you something. 
I don't care if he can quote the book of Proverbs backwards standing on his head. If he cannot go to work on time, if he cannot pay his bills, if he's constantly asking for handouts, you say, oh, but he loves God. I'm glad he does. That's a wonderful thing. But let me tell you something. When there's no food in the refrigerator, you, 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 you'll say, please stop quoting the Bible to me. How many, many people get in a relationship with good intentions and, and and make promises and commitments and have good intentions, but if you don't have the character to back those up, that's just wishes is all it is. Without character, your life will be filled with good in- intentions, weepy apologies, and disappointments to the point you eventually don't feel much of anything. So here's the bottom line. Do they have character? Do they show up? Are they faithful? they have a job? Are they there? Do they come? Do they come regularly? Do they come faithfully? Can they get out of bed? Can they go to bed? Can they get out of bed? Can they get their work done? I'm telling you, sir. It might be, I'll win 50 people to Christ. Wonderful. I'm glad you win 50 people to Christ. But if you can't do your homework, don't, don't, don't bother showing an interest in somebody at my house. Because let me tell you something. You say, well, you know, homework's not that important. Yeah, you're going to treat your bills that way too. Do your work. Do your work. Do your work. Be where you're supposed to be. That's character. Now, number six, the right kind of young man or young lady loves God and loves the things of God. Loves God and loves the things of God. I'm talking about they love the Bible. They love prayer. They love preaching. They love winning souls to Christ. They love being at church. They love giving. They love old-fashioned fundamental Christianity. And God is first in their life. Now listen to me carefully. If a person does not have a love for God, a passion for God, and a relationship with God, the relationship with God is what fuels other relationships. Your, your relationship with God is what fills you up with the love of God so you have something to give the people you love. Now, if, if your spouse has no walk with God, they have nothing from God to give you, your emotional tank is going to be empty. They must be committed to Christ, love Christ, walk with Christ. And listen, the kind of love that God put on display was completely selfless love, selfless love. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. Christ-like love is completely selfless. Jesus said in the gospel of John, greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friend. The kind of love that you need in your future home and marriage is a selfless love. You both need to know what it is to love the other person where you're willing to put your needs, your desires aside and live for the other person. And that only comes by walking with God. You cannot get that out of a romance novel. You can't get that from a Hallmark movie. You can't get that from talking to your girlfriends on Snapchat. You can't get that anywhere except from the Bible and prayer and spending time with your God. Spiritual love 
denies self in order to meet the needs of others. Now, two more things. Those are, is this the right kind of young man? Is this the right kind of young lady? But two more things. Is this the right one for you? Is this the right one for you? Now listen, there there are thousands of the right kind of person. But the right one for you, number seven, will be the will of God for you. And you don't find that out. You find that out on your knees, in prayer, in fasting, seeking God. God will reveal his will to you if you want to know it. Uh, Men that I love and, and respect that are out of the ministry, and it's both ways, it's both ways. I know dear ladies who would love to be in ministry, but their husbands backslid on God and vice versa. Men in ministry left the ministry because their wife said, I don't want to be in ministry anymore. It's me or the, uh, me or the ministry. You need to know that this person is the will of God for you. Yes, but we love each other. Listen to me carefully. Don't miss this statement. It is absolutely possible to fall deeply in love with someone who is not the will of God for your life. But we love each other. That's what the guy that's in an affair says. Does that make that right? Help me. Does that make it right? No, of course not. You need to know in your heart, this is what God has for me. This is God's will for me. I want to read you a little something. This came out of uh, Dr. Kavanagh's book. Um, And uh, I'll just read this to you. I used to think most Christians would have thought that marriage issues through sought wise counsel and meditated with prayer and fasting before making or accepting a marriage proposal. Thousands of counseling sessions and a huge headache later, I know it's not always true. People get engaged for the most bizarre reasons. I've heard just about everything. Read them and weep. There's not a good reason among, uh, not a single good reason to get married in the lot. Now these are things that he he wrote down and uh, it's sad actually. It seemed like the thing to do. Everyone expected us to. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. He surprised me and I didn't know what else to say. (laughs) I was about to graduate and didn't want to leave college single. I really liked her parents. I wanted to pastor, and I needed a wife to do so. I was leaving for war and was afraid she'd stray. That's a real clue right there. That's not the gal for you. I didn't love him, but couldn't think of a good reason to say no. I was paying my ex-boyfriend back. I got pregnant. Two wrongs don't make a right. He made me feel attractive and smart. It was a way to escape my unbearable home life. I didn't deserve anyone better than them. I just couldn't bear the thought of starting over. Her dad was like the father I never had. Now, folks, listen. Meeting someone else's expectations, fear for any reason whatsoever... 
are not good reasons to get married. (laughs) You in your soul need to walk with God, seek God's faith. Is this a person who my parents uh, approve, that enhances my healthy relationships, that has character, that walks with God, and is this person the will of God for me? And lastly, and not necessarily the least, is this the right one for me? Are you attracted to them? Uh, we don't need to over-spiritualize this because, again, he might be able to quote the book of Proverbs backwards standing on his head. But if you're not attracted to him, don't marry him. Do you love him? I think so. Don't marry him. Do you love her? I could. Don't marry her. <laughs> if there's not chemistry between the two of you, call it off. Look, look at the last couple of verses here. Verse 30. The Bible says, or 27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? No. Can a man go on hot, upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? No. By the way, you can't do that either. You can't neck and pet and look at dirty pictures and uh, send inappropriate pictures and type filthy vile words and watch vile music videos and, 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 and uh, watch bedroom scenes and not get burned. So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. There's no excuses. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. You know, if you're a thief, you can at least mortgage your house and pay your debts. Verse 32. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. If you're immoral, there is no way to make that right wrong. You can get forgiveness. You can go on for Christ, but that is a scar. The Bible says a reproach that will never go away. Verse 33, a wound in dishonor shall he get, and his reproach or shame shall not be wiped away. It leaves permanent damage, God said. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. Sin always leaves scars. You know what? We're God's people, aren't we? And it doesn't matter what the world does or what the world says or what the Supreme Court votes. There's a word in the Bible, the word fornication, and it is a broad, overarching word, and it means any kind of mental or physical activity. Listen carefully. Any kind of mental or physical activity activity that encourages intimacy outside the bonds of marriage. I'm talking about before marriage, while married, any physical or mental activity that encourages intimacy, any kind of intimate activity outside of marriage. God created marriage for intimacy And God meant intimacy to be inside the confines of marriage. And it always brings God's judgment when we ignore his clear commands of Scripture and make exceptions. It always brings God's judgment. Now, we're God's people. Amen? 
And we're not perfect. And many, many have failed in different areas of our lives. We've all failed in different areas of our lives. God's a gracious and a merciful God. Amen. But what we will not accept is just because the world is getting more and more depraved, we do not need to drop our standard of morality, God's standard of morality. We do not need to drop our convictions. We need to behave ourselves and act like God's people. And if that makes us a bunch of oddballs, thank God God said we are His peculiar people. Amen? Amen. And young people, you have got to get over the world thinking you're peculiar. God said you're peculiar. Embrace it. Amen? People laugh and mock and think that's ridiculous. Oh, those kids, you get the way you, that's ridiculous. Let me tell you something. Just about everywhere we go today, somebody came up to me. One of the, one of the boys came up to me, handed me a card. And, uh, and uh, somebody, an adult, while they were out today, commended them. Commended them for their behavior, their character, their efforts for Christ. Listen, we're different. We're different. We don't belong here. Amen. We don't fit in down here. We're God's people. Amen. And don't ever be ashamed to be one of God's people. Amen. I, I always rejoice in this. My wife was mocked in high school for having, for being a good girl. Being pure and decent. And she got mocked publicly. Humiliated one day at school. Came home from school. And uh, she kept it together, mocked, made fun of, laughed at. And, and she came home, held it together, and she got home. Mom said, how are you? How's your day? And she broke. She couldn't hold it in anymore. So they mocked and made fun of me, laughed at me, ridiculed me in front of everybody because, because I'm a good girl. I wouldn't be otherwise. And I love this little story. And my mother-in-law, sitting right down here, just the two of them in the house, stood up and gave her a standing ovation. Now, you don't need the world's applause. You need God's approval. Amen? People with decency and character will approve you and laud you. Do it the right way, kids. Do it the right way. Let's stand together.